Welcome to all of our listeners. We are back. And welcome to fellow sports card enthusiasts. We're glad you're here. Thank you for tuning into the show. If you're new to the show, welcome to the 615 Collector. My name is Doug Turner. My partner is my son, Brandon Turner. We always like to remind everyone at the top of the show that we do not take sponsorships or get paid by anyone we talk about, which is very much intentional, so you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and not financially motivated. So, Brandon, why don't we just jump right in today, give the rundown for the show. Yeah, uh, welcome everybody. We're glad you're here listening. Uh, We got several things to talk about today. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about our view of the market, the uh, indices that track the market, a little bit about a not so great experience we had with a new marketplace. We're buying and selling mail days and keeping with the tradition, we're going to take a look at the athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number. Um, we'll have a quick but relevant historic moment in sports, and then we're going to cover the latest hobby news in the Halftime Report. Finally, in film study, we'll cover hockey, basketball, and baseball. Lots of stuff. Hodgepodge of stuff. You didn't want to say hodgepodge, <clears throat> huh? No, I didn't. You don't like that word or that phrase. All right. Uh, where do we want to start? Uh, triple triple Logo Man. Let's go there. Okay. Update on the LeBron Triple Logo Man. Surprisingly, I was looking up where it was at before we started recording. It has not budged. Well, I mean, I figure it would be budging at the end. Yeah, it will, I'm sure I would think, but I just was kind of surprised. Not literally another bid since last week when we talked about it. It's still sitting at $1.8 million. So with the juice, the buyer's premium, they say, it's at $2.16 million. There's just one day remaining. It closes, uh, we're recording Friday night. I think it closes Saturday night. Hmm. Going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, what else we got? We got, uh, oh, mail days. Well, we didn't really have any mail days, but did have a the CSG order popped. It wasn't really an order. It was a reholder. We sent in, what was it? I think 15 cards that were nine and a halfs to get reholdered into the tens. And so those are done. Those are on their way back to us now. Don't have them yet, but they're being shipped back. So that's cool. Uh, in terms of buying and selling, really didn't do a lot of buying and selling. Certainly didn't do any selling did some buying but it was more replacement buying which i'll i'll get to i am prepping some things to sell gonna mm. probably put a few oh, things actually up on, sell stuff yeah i think i'm gonna put a few <laughs> things up on my slabs oh i didn't put in the notes we need to talk about so last weekend was father's day and we had those two panini crown royale oh, boxes yeah. yeah and we decided to rip one because we had them we we both were sealed Hadn't opened them. I thought it's Father's Day. Good luck to rip on Father's Day. So let's rip one of the two boxes. We had two. I said, Brandon, which one should we rip? You said, do the top one. We ripped the top one going kaboom hunting. And sure enough, lo and behold, boom, we pulled a kaboom. And not just any kaboom. We pulled Scotty Barnes. Yeah. Rookie. That's a good pull. Rookie card kaboom. Rookie of the year, right? Mm-hmm. One rookie of the year. He did. Who's he with again? Toronto? Yep. Yeah. So that was awesome. That card in raw form has been selling for around $2,500. I saw a PSA 10 that recently sold for $4,000. I don't know that ours would get a 10. I haven't looked it over in, you know, great detail, uh, but just glancing at it, I guess it, it could maybe, but I'd need to look at it more closely. But uh, nonetheless, that was cool. Those those boxes, I think, cost about 400 and... I think it was like $450, maybe. So, 
two boxes we had 900 bucks so just that one card like more than what tripled the investment on both boxes and we still have one box sealed yeah so that was cool that's a really good pull we also pulled a a uh, serial numbered zion williamson and a autograph card of uh it was bob dandridge with yes. the milwaukee bucks yes. an old veteran with the bucks so it was cool. It was a good. Uh, it was a good pull. They say it was good luck to rip on on holidays like that, Father's Day, Christmas, things like that. We did, and sure enough, it was good luck. I still can't believe we pulled. I'm still in in uh, shock about pulling that kaboom. That was awesome. That we got some cards that we're prepping to sell. I was debating whether we want to sell that one or not. What do you do? You want to? What do you think? You want to hang on to that one or sell it? <clears throat> That's up to you. I don't know. What do you think? Do you want it? I Pass don't. It I don't know. No. All right. I don't know. Well, we'll have to see. Um, so did have, we last time we talked about, did a couple of breaks on the new app, Card Shop Live, which is uh, being run by those guys from Sports Card Nonsense, Mike, Gio, and Jesse Gibson. And anyway, we did, um, I won't mention the name of the company, I guess, but we did a break on there. Remember we did, I think last time we talked about, we did some an absolute baseball break and an obsidian football break was really excited about the cards we pulled because we did a pick your team on obsidian football got the broncos was looking to pull a javante williams rpa rookie patch autograph card and we did pulled a rookie patch auto also pulled another autograph card of his that was serial numbered so i had two really nice cards on that in the absolute break we got the dodgers it was a random team and had we had three teams i got the dodgers the orioles and the reds not not terribly excited about the Orioles and the Reds, although the Reds are kind of your team, sort of. Not really. A little bit. Was excited about the Dodgers and did get some decent cards. Pulled two booklets, a Dodgers pitcher, I think it was Andre Jackson, a prospect, and another Reds prospect pitcher. Can't remember his name off the top of my head. Anyway, and some other cards to go along with it. So was pretty excited about both of those breaks. Certainly got more value in the cards than what we paid for the spots in the breaks probably pretty decent value actually because like for the pick your team break for obsidian i think i paid 80 bucks the javante williams rpa is probably close to that alone and then you add the autograph so probably pulled enough cards to double the money in if if we were to sell them in the obsidian break and then in the absolute baseball break certainly pulled enough cards to more than pay and probably make a little bit of return but here's the bad news so the cards, I hadn't gotten them. It had been 10 days had passed. Didn't get them. So I followed up with the In Card Shop Live. You can contact the seller and the people that run that app. And something there was some sort of mix-up, apparently. And so the cards never shipped. They shipped Actually, they shipped to maybe the wrong person. I don't know. Who knows what happened? But we didn't get the cards. So that stunk. <laughs> And now, good news is, yeah, good news is, I mean, the guys that run Card Shop Live are good guys with high integrity. So reached out to them, let them know, hey, what's the deal? They said, yeah, they checked with the seller. Cards couldn't be tracked down, thought they went to the wrong person, whatever. Anyway, got a refund, got it pretty quick after responding. So got a refund, but was still kind of disappointed because I really wanted those cards. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, th- I would have rather had the cards than to refund my money back. So that kind of stunk, to be quite honest. And then they said, well, the seller's going to actually reach out and, and maybe you know give us a few cards on top of the refund to sort of make it right 
you know, for our troubles, that kind of thing. But still haven't heard anything from the seller. So I got to be honest, a little disappointed about that experience. Now, not that, so I would say the people like Mike and Jesse, the people that run Card Shop Live, everyone at Card Shop Live has been fantastic, very responsive. Anytime I submitted any kind of email or, you know, inquiry about what the status was, very responsive. So that was awesome because you don't always get that with a lot of companies. You get no response sometimes. So that was awesome. Took care of me right away. Got the refund right away. So everything was great from that perspective. But as far as the seller was concerned, I'm not wild about the experience with the seller. So I'll be curious to see what they do there. They keep, you know, because, you know, look, it was probably an honest mistake. But that kind of stuff happens sometimes, right? Where, I mean, a seller could be like, oh yeah, sorry, you know, I misplaced it and they've got cards that are worth more than yeah. what the spot in the break was. So, you know, it could be shady. I don't think it is. I think it was an honest mistake, but that was the bad experience that you were alluding to. So, got that refund and I said, I thought, you know, I want to do another absolute break. I actually like that absolute baseball product. So I did, I, this time I just bought a hobby box and I did it with hit and run sports cards. They're on loop and I like hit and run. They're fantastic sports, uh, LCS local card shop and our store, whatever you want to say. And, uh, so got a box with them. They opened it. And so got those, those cards are on the way. Got some, I did get a booklet. I got a couple of nice polls in that one. So I'm looking forward to getting that. We get those, we'll have to post them on social media, but so I did that. That was really it as far as the buying and, and selling is concerned. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Um, <clears throat> we have some fractional stuff. Yeah. Opportunities on the fractional platforms. Let's touch on that. We've talked about this in some prior shows. And, man, I, I tell you what. For people out there, if I know for some people fractional is not their thing. But if you all have interest in fractional ownership, Pay attention to what's happening on these platforms. Collectible in particular. Now there's Dibs, there's Otis. Collectible's one that we've done the most with. It's one that probably has, I don't know, I like their platform better than the others, but I like all of them. I, I've got stuff with the others as well. But but here's, here's a couple examples. So on Collectible, there's a Michael Jordan rookie card, the FLIR 1986. It's in an SGC 10. That card has fluctuated. It dropped at one point this past week to 97,000 in terms of the value. And then it it, uh, it closed today, I saw, finished at $124,000. So that's a nearly $30,000 swing in the value of that card from the low during the week to where it closed the week out. So I'm just, you know, look, I'm just telling you, just if you watch these things and maybe put in some limit orders to pick some stuff off, off at some cheap prices, because there's a PSA 10 right now one just sold, I believe, in the PWCC Premier Auction for like two hundred and twenty or thirty thousand. There's one at Golden right now that I think has about a two hundred thousand dollar bid that'll close. That auction closes tomorrow, so real opportunity there. There's another one, a LeBron. It's the two thousand three EX Essential Credentials Now card. It's serial number to one hundred two. It was graded a nine and a half by BGS. It actually recently sold in June for seventy eight thousand dollars, according to Card Ladder. And on the collectible platform right now, it's offered for $70,000. So a 10% discount to what it recently sold for. And it recently dipped down to $61,000 in the past week. So if you had a low limit order buy down there, you might have been able to pick up some shares in the mid $60,000 range on the value of that card. 
and it's recovered back to 70, but one just recently sold for 78. Here's another one. This one is crazy to me. A 1957 Topps Mickey Mantle in a PSA 8.5. This card, that literally that exact, well, not that exact card, but that card in a PSA 8.5, according to Card Ladder, sold on June 16th, so what, a week ago, for $66,000. It's on collectible right now with a value of $40,000. Hmm. 30% or more than 30% discount to what it just sold for. And it had dipped briefly to $36,000, so almost not, not almost half of what it just sold for a week ago. So look, there's, we, we said there's going to be some opportunities on these fractional platforms. If you keep some dry powder and put in some you know, low ball limit orders, you might get some opportunities to pick up some stuff for cheap, and that is happening right now. I'll give a couple more real quick. One is a Wayne Gretzky rookie card, the Opeachy, 1978 Opeachy in a PSA 9. On collectible right now, the value is $105,000. According to Card Ladder, there was a sale of that card in a PSA 9 on June 16th, so a week ago, for $66,000. Or excuse me. Wait, you have that wrong. That was, yeah, that was the Mickey Mantle. $156,000. Was, yeah, it was $156,000. I was reading the Mickey Mantle notes. The uh, Wayne Gretzky sold for $156,000. Also on June 16th, by the way. It was the same date as the Mickey Mantle sale. But... That might have been a PW. I think that might have been the PWCC Premier Auction results. But so a hundred fifty-six thousand dollars sale. That card is on the collectible platform for hundred and five. That's a that's two thirds, a thirty percent discount to what it just sold for. And then one more, a nineteen thirty-three Gaudi Babe Ruth. This is the one that's got kind of the they call it the action card because there's like what three or four cards in the Gaudi set of Babe Ruth. He's standing after having just kind of swung the bat. This one's in an SGC8, and it's on collectible for $165,000. A PSA8 just sold about a month ago on May 21st for $384,600. The SGC8 is on collectible for $165,000, literally less than half of hmm. what the PSA8 sold for about a month ago. Lots of other examples we could give, but... Like I said, we've talked about this before, but man, there's, you know, go look through some of the offerings on these factional platforms. There are some real, in my opinion, bargain basement prices and opportunities to pick up some cards for far less than what actual sales are going for on those same cards. Um, what else? Where else do we want to go? The the indexes. Let's talk about that a yeah, little bit. Yeah, let's hit indexes. We yeah, got a lot here. We do. We won't. We won't spend too much time on all this, but because we posted some stories on our social media channels this past week, just with some analysis that we've been doing of some of the different card ladder indexes, both player indexes as well as the what's called the card ladder 50 index, which is kind of a index that's supposed to rep almost try to be like kind of like an S and P 500 style index and reflect the sports card market and. Look, I heard, you know, and, and I heard um, Chris, McGill, and, and, and Josh, uh, I think Johnson's his last name, the two co-founders of um, Card Ladder, along with Christina, who's Chris's wife, and they've talked about some of the indexes being, you know, like the Luca index being down, um, I think that index is down 25%, but a lot of his cards are actually down, like if you look, and so one of the, the analysis that we did is we looked at all of the, the high pop count cards. And I say high pop count. Let's, I should say the most widely owned. That's the way we're looking at it. So when to gem rate, we said, 
what are the cards that have the most pop count? And generally, there's like 12 or 15 cards that represent 40 to 50% of all the graded cards of these players. And we looked at what has been the performance over the last year for those individual cards and compare that to what does the player index look like. And in almost every case, the performance of those individual cards has been down significantly more, in a lot of cases, double or more than double than what the player index is. And the reason for that is because the indexes on card ladder are price weighted. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. That's a perfectly acceptable way to do an index. But what that means is that the higher priced cards are going to have more influence in the performance of the index than the lower priced cards. And a lot of those high pop count cards obviously are going to be some of the lower priced cards, right? And we've been talking about this for a while, but these indexes just sort of prove out through the data what we've been talking about, which is that these high pop count, lower value cards have been performing far worse than the higher end. The higher end's been holding up. And so the performance of the indexes doesn't really reflect what's really been happening underneath the surface on that and what a lot of collectors might have been actually experiencing. And I've kind of heard some rumblings about that, some different people talking about like, hey, yeah, the card ladder index says this, but man, the cards I've got are down a heck of a lot more. And, and so we were doing the analysis, and sure enough, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And in some cases, it's pretty extreme. Like, I'll give you a couple examples. Like, if you look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Trey Young or John Morant, their player indexes are actually up over the last year. But their top 10 to 15 cards that are the, the, the most graded cards and have the higher pop counts representing, like I said, 40 to 50% of all the graded cards for these players. In all the cases, they're down huge. Like So in Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s case, as an example, the one-year performance on his player index in card ladder is up 76%, but the average decline in, his, in the top 14 cards for him, down 47%. That's a big difference. Yeah, um, it is. Trey Young. His card ladder index one year up 14%, but the average performance of his uh, cards down 55%. The Jaw Morant that I talked about, card ladder index up 115%, but the average of his top 12 cards is actually down 10%. So that's kind of what we've been talking about. The experience of a lot of collectors is very different than what maybe the indexes have been showing. The reason for that has been that those indexes are price weighted and the higher end cards have we've been talking about this have been holding up better and so they are sort of masking in the the performance in the player indexes relative to what's kind of been happening underneath the surface again nothing wrong with that i want to be real clear here because we got you know got a lot of we got a lot of good positive feedback in our social media channels on this a lot of people saying good analysis really, really appreciated all the data and everything thought it was good but I also think there were probably a few that maybe felt like were we trying to sort of throw shade at Card Ladder. The reality is no, absolutely not. 100% supportive of Card Ladder. Love the work they're doing. Love the data they provide. Look, this data they provide and the transparency, this is exact. We wouldn't be able to do this without them. And so this is exactly what the hobby needs so that you can do this kind of analysis and see what's happening in the market and see trends and see you know what what some of these divergences that are happening between different cards and so forth that helps you identify it's just like doing a, any kind of investment analysis right stocks or bonds or whatever it helps you identify opportunities and trends that might be happening in the market that you can take advantage of and so love what they're doing and in fact 
um, Chris McGill from Card Ladder is actually going to be on our, we're going to interview him next week. We're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about the indexes. We're going to talk about the market and so forth. So really looking forward to that conversation. So I want to be clear, this is nothing about, you know, anything negative about Card Ladder. Fully supportive, love the things they're doing. Uh, this is just about really analyzing the market and what's happening in the market and sort of differentiating between what you see in some of these indexes versus what your experience might be with some of the cards that you're holding. So it's just more evidence of what we've talked about. The high end is held up fairly well, but it's starting now to get hit. And you like the Luca in player index is an example. You saw that. It's now down 25%. And yet his the top uh, 14 cards that represent 45% of all of his graded cards are actually down 52%. But so I think you're going to see as the, as the high end starts to get hit, what I think you're going to see is that it'll get reflected in the indexes, right? All of a sudden the indexes are going to get hammered and some people might freak out and panic over that, but I don't, there's no reason to panic because the, the average card owned by people in the hobby has already been hit, right? By definition, those high end cards are low pop count, they're serial numbered. There's not a lot of people that own them, so there's going to be a very small few people that'll get impacted by that. Most everyone has already been hit, and I think, we'll see, but I think a lot of that stuff's already been hit. I think it stabilizes here. It might still go down a little bit, but I think it probably stabilizes, and I think the high end gets hit more. And then I think, like we said last time in our last show, I think that probably marks the last you know, inning, if you will, or the last phase of this cycle, of this down cycle, it's kind of what we need to see to clear the decks, right? Give us that sort of swoosh that we talked about that we need to, where you kind of clear out the selling, reestablish a new base, and then move forward from there. I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the high end of the market over the next couple of months, because here's the question, is most of the stuff in strong hands, diamond hands as they refer to, and those people will simply hold and they'll remove the supply from the market, like they're not going to sell, so they take the supply out? Or is any of that stuff in weak hands that might panic and sell at any price? Or in leveraged hands, we talked about that last week, right? Anyone swimming naked, the tide goes out, we'll find out. Do they have, they have massive leverage and will they be forced to sell if the prices go down in order to you know, meet a, say, a, a margin call or a loan call on some of the leverage that they might have outstanding on, on some of those investments. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. If some, if they, if there is some leverage that has to get cleared, I think that's going to create some opportunities for investors, just like we talked about in the fractional space, where there's been some opportunities created by people that are kind of panicking and seeking liquidity. And since those platforms are not as robust and not as deep in their, in their trade order book and in the, the um, liquidity, you're getting some sort of irrational price movements that for those that have dry powder and stronger hands, it's opportunities. I think we might see the same thing. We'll just see. It just depends, like I said, how much leverage is in the high end of the market. So anyway, so this stuff we're watching, but I'll give you an example. Here's a couple of interesting things. If you look at the Card Ladder 50 index, by the way, it's a fantastic index. All the iconic cards, right? The 52 tops, Mickey Mantle, the 86 Fleer, Michael Jordan, the 1980 tops, Ricky Henderson, um, the 1980 Topps Larry Bird Magic Johnson Julie, uh, Julius Dr. J Julius Serving card the 33 Gaudi Babe Ruth lots of iconic cards in there that index over the last year according to Card Ladder is down about 4% but if you take the average decline again that's price weighted so if we take the average decline it's actually down 
14% is the average decline. But here's what's interesting. So, and this speaks to what we've just been saying. If you break that, there's 50 cards in that index. And if you break them down, there's five cards that are greater than, that are valued at more than 20,000, eight cards valued between 10 and 20, and then the rest are valued under 10. And so if you just take the cards that are valued from basically 10 to $20,000, those cards, the performance of those cards is actually basically flat down like maybe a percent or two. Whereas the lower value, like the under $5,000 cards, those are down 20, what is it? 25% on average. So you see the lower value down a lot more than the higher value stuff. The other thing that was interesting was the era of cards. So when we, we did it by um, what we call pre-war vintage, post-war vintage, junk wax, modern, and ultra-modern. And the ultra-modern had the worst performance, followed by modern, followed by junk wax, followed by post-war vintage, and then pre-war vintage, which is kind of what you'd expect. So in other words, the older it gets, the card gets, the better performance it has had. And that kind of correlates to pop counts too, right? The older you get, the lower the pop counts are. Uh, if you look at sport within the index, uh, baseball, absent golf, golf's the best performer, but there's only one card. It's a Tiger Woods 2001 upper deck right, rookie right. card. So I'll exclude that one since only one. Baseball is the best performer. Basketball is the worst performing sport. Baseball is actually flat, maybe up 2% on average. Basketball is actually down 36% on average. So anyway, some very interesting things that you can kind of glean uh, from looking at the data in that, uh, in that index. But we posted uh, some of that stuff today, or and this week, I should say, and so got some good response. So like I said, looking forward to having Chris McGill on next week to kind of talk a little bit more about that. Uh, we had on here in our notes talk about why we're bullish long-term. Look, if we're kind of expecting this, you know, things to get a little more painful before we bottom out why why would we be bullish long term I'm not going to go through all that today i will just say we've got a blog post on our website go check that out it gives kind of an account recounting of the history of the card market and in there we talk about some of the reasons why you should be bullish over the long term and they include things like modernization advancements in technology the fact that storytelling and treasure hunting is always something that's going to attract interest all the increased marketing spend and promotion that companies in the space are going to um, invest in over the next several years the deal that fanatics did and the way they included the players associations and how that's gonna you know sort of get sports cards into the fabric of the everyday conversation and, and media over the next several years. We talked about all the different, I won't recount them all here, but there's a ton of different institutional investment firms and big sort of, you know, um, uh, private equity and other types of investors that are in the space. And a lot of these people, they don't make these investments for the purpose of flipping something in the short term. They're coming into the space with a long-term investment horizon, typically 10 years or more. And they're putting literally hundreds of millions of dollars to work in this space with a long-term horizon. So all of that are, you know, coupled with some other things or reasons why um, we remain bullish over the long term. But obviously there's some kind of some economic things in the near term that we need to work through, as well as kind of working off some of the excesses that we saw, especially in 2021, still working off some of that um, to get to a more 
you know reasonable price point on on some of these cards so anyway i think that's all i got on that you want to go to let's probably go to shirt jersey numbers yeah jersey numbers so today is 37 yeah 37 not a lot of 37s yeah the higher we get the more it's going to be like that i think so some of the bigger names lester hayes who's a big one cornerback for the the raiders it's my best uh impression he was um do you know lester hayes kind of i've got an actually i've got an autograph card of his that i really i want to send in to get graded but um he was known for uh stickum you know okay. about stickum i think so he would load himself up he was a cornerback and he would load himself up with with stickum which basically just makes when the ball comes, it's like you could practically catch a ball without catching it. If it just hits your arm and it's full right. of stickum, it would stick to your arm. But he was sort of known for that, and he had um, a ton of interceptions. Let's see, Deion Sanders, you know, he's on the list. He wore 17 for a season. I'm going to say he doesn't count because I think he only wore it for one season with the Ravens. He's really more known for number 21, so I'm going to say he doesn't count. Uh, Rodney Harrison, he's another one, defender with uh, the New England Patriots. Um a current name, Chasker Hernandez with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's doing well. Kenny Rogers was a not not the singer, but right. the pitcher in baseball. Or uh, Max Scherzer was one. Again, he's worn some different numbers throughout his career, but he wore 37 for, a, I think it was about a five- or six-year stint with the Tigers. Another big pitcher uh, with Toronto in this case was Dave Steeb, S-T-I-E-B. Um, Steven Strasburg. It's another decent name, but that's real, that's all I got. I mean, there were some others, but nothing that you know. Yeah, that's that's how it's going to be. The higher we get, I think. So, what are you uh, gonna? What's your? What would be your pick on the list? Strasburg, I guess. Strasburg, yeah, that's a good one. I'm gonna go Lester Hayes. I gotta go Lester Hayes. That guy, yeah, stick him. All right. I think it was called Stickham, right? Do I have that wrong? I was thinking it was called Stickham. I have no idea, dude. You're Maybe I'm right. saying it wrong. Maybe, right. you know, my memory doesn't serve me as well these days. All right, well, let's move on. We've got a historic moment in sports. Okay, so you want to do it? Yeah, so June 24th. Which was today? 1992. 30 years ago. The NBA draft held in memorial coliseum in portland oregon yeah so this is relevant you know what we were living in you weren't born yet but i was living in portland when this happened yeah um the first pick that year was Shaq, of course to the magic the second pick was uh, lonzo lonzo morning and the third pick was christian leitner yeah also robert ori was in that class um is it latrell spruill latrell spreewell spreewell, spreewell. yeah um, and Who's Doug it? Doug Christie. Doug Christie. Yeah. yeah. That was, a lot of good was, names in there. Yeah, that was... Supp- Robert Ory, Robert Ory. Yeah. You, what do you, you like Robert Ory, huh? Yeah, dude, You're he's clutch. big on Robert Ory. He's clutch, man. Shaq, though, was... That was really the... That was the reason for the historic moment in sports. It's relevant because the NBA draft's going on right now. The first round... Or they started yesterday. Yeah, so Shaq was literally drafted 30 years ago today and that was considered one of the best i mean when you look at it, it's considered a pretty strong draft class because i think those top three were considered well i know they were considered kind of can't miss draft picks and they really didn't all three of them i believe all three are in the hall of fame christian leitner might not be there for individual um he might be there as a team but anyway but i i think all three of them are in the hall of fame yeah 
Yeah, I think so. I think so. That's a that's a pretty. And good obviously, Shaq was legendary. I so. mean, yeah. Good lord. Yeah. And he actually gained like a hundred pounds over the course of his career. Yeah, he was skinny when he, he first came. He in. actually gained like coming from he LSU. was like two sixty, and then he got to like four hundred by the end of his career. Wow, just stupid. Well, and I mean, he was what seven two. Yep, is <laughs> is seven two. Yeah. So I mean, two sixty. That's kind. Of, that's skinny for seven two. I mean, he's still, he still looked big. Yeah, he still looked big. But nothing like he looks today. Yeah. I mean, all right. Well, that's our historic moment in sports. You want to move on to the halftime report? Yeah, let's do it. Halftime report. All right, let's start with, um, let's do some card releases. You take the first one. All right, so Panini Prism NBA is coming out next week. Uh, The first off the line hobby box is going to start at uh, $2,800 in Dutch auction format. Yeah, remember, so it'll go down every three minutes or so until they sell out. So, but that's going to be a popular release. Tops has their 2022. I love this set, the 206. It's like the old T206 baseball cards. Um, they've done this the last three years now, where they've so they had a 20, they brought the 206 back in 2020, then they did one in 2021. They're doing now again in 2022. These are those tobacco sized cards, they're the smaller sized cards. You know, the regular cards are two and a half by three and a half inches. I forget what the dimensions are on these cards, but I love this set. And they're going to come out in waves. One wave one is available right now, and each box contains one pack. But they're small boxes, and so and there's ten cards per pack, and each box only costs fifteen dollars, so not bad. And then uh, there's some nice cards you can go after. There's different like the different backs. They do the different backs like the old T206 had with the different you know tobacco companies. There's parallels, image variations. I think they even throw in some autographs. And there's a mixture of different players. You get current players, rookies, veterans, retired players, Hall of Famers. There's going to be one thing that's different with the 2022 set. There's going to be 100 cards in each wave. The last pre, the last two years, there were 50 cards in each wave. And uh, the other nice thing about this set is they publish the print runs. So they're going to tell you how many of these they printed. And it's generally low. You know, like... I know with some of the prior years, like each wave might have had, and when I say low, like the wave might have had 20,000 boxes printed. And you say, well, that sounds high, but that, not in comparison. If you think about like, you know, how many they print of Panini Prism or of Topps, you know, Chrome Baseball or whatever, like it, the print counts are, and those, I mean, the print runs are low, and that's the total print run. That's not what gets graded a 10 or a 9 or whatever else. So anyway, so that's kind of a nice added element. To the release i do not know how many waves they're going to have i know i think last year they had 10 i think the year before that there might have been eight so we'll see but anyway like i said i like that product if you have interest in it go out you can get that directly from the tops website um so the national card show is coming up in atlantic city they've added several athletes to the list of signers including Dr. J, Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Bo Jackson, among others. Yeah, they've got a really impressive autograph list, athletes that are going to be there to sign stuff. So if you're going to the National, check that out. And then uh, in the golf news, the LIV or Live Golf, Brooks Kepka now joined. He went to the dark side. And he is the second highest ranked player to join the league. Reportedly got a seven-figure payout, similar nice. to what like Phil Mickelson and 
Bryson DeChambeau and those guys got. So anyway, so now he's over there as well. So this is only going to, the competition going to continue to heat up between these leagues. Um, Wimbledon is approaching, so expect some interest in tennis cards. Serena will be competing. Coco Golf gets the 11 seed. On the men's side, Djokovic gets the number one seed, followed by Nadal. Um, what is that? Rude? You want me to pronounce these? Rudd. 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 And then my favorite C- last last name. Tsitsipas. 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 All right. And then Federer hasn't played since last year's Wimbledon as he underwent knee surgery. It's not looking like he's going to play this year either. Tournament starts on June 27th, and it goes for a fortnight until Sunday, July 10th. Yep, a fortnight. It really stinks that Federer might not play this year. I, I, there's a chance that he might, but I, it's doubtful. Uh, so that stinks, but still, you're going to have Djokovic, you're going to have Nadal, you're going to have, like I said, Goff, Serena Williams, so that's going to be good. Fortnite, you know what a fortnight is? It's like, what, 14 days? Yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> two weeks. You could just say two weeks. Two weeks, yep. All right, other big news in football was Arch Manning. The number one recruit in the country, probably one of the highest profile prospects ever, committed to play at Texas, the University of Texas. That was interesting. Remember, Texas is going to be joining the SEC, slated to do that in the 2025 season. Manning is part of the 2023 class, so it's looking like he probably will be the starting quarterback for their inaugural SEC season. Hmm. It's kind of interesting because... um, of course, Peyton went to Tennessee. Archie's dad was uh, Ole Miss, right? And I think Eli was at Ole Miss. Yeah, Eli was Ole Miss. I'm pretty sure Archie was at Ole Miss as well. And then Peyton went to Tennessee, and so now Arch is going to uh, Texas. All right, let's move on. Car- record sales from Card Ladder. Touch on a few of these. Yep. A couple of interesting ones here. Um, there was a... For my favorite set, the Gaudis. 1934 Gaudi Lou Gehrig in a PSA 2 sold for a record $4,680 via REA, which is Robert Edwards Auctions. Uh, where else? Bryce Harper. 2011 Bowman Chrome. Nice to see Bryce Harper finally getting a little bit of love. Bowman Chrome Prospects. It was an autograph. It was an orange parallel, so serial number to 25. Graded 9.5 on the, uh, the card, 10 on the auto. Sold for $45,600 via PWCC. And then there was a 1979 Topps Doug Williams, the quarterback uh, for that particular card. He was his rookie card. He was quarterback for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It was in a PSA 10, sold for just shy of $2,000. You had a 49 Bowman Jackie Robinson. That's an awesome card, but it's a spending one. In a PSA 1, the worst grade you can get, sold for a record $4,700. And then here's one. I've got this card. It's a 1958 Topps Jim Brown, his rookie card, running back for the Cleveland Browns. PSA 2 sold for a record $1,700. So I was happy to see that. Here's one people might be interested in because a lot of our listeners probably have this card. It's from the Junk Wax era. 1984 Topps Don Mattingly was his rookie. BGS 9.5 sold for $500 via eBay. It's pretty good. Hmm. Here we go from the Crown Royale. This is the one we just ripped, although this is 2018. We ripped the, what was that, 2021? 2018 Crown Royale, Damian Lillard Kaboom in a PSA 10. Sold for only 750 That was a record, but $750. I would think... I would think that'd be higher. I would think it'd be higher, too. A couple of soccer cards on the list. So a 2021 Don Russ, Road to Qatar, Lionel Messi, Kaboom, PSA 10. Sold for four thousand five hundred dollars. 
and a 2020 Panini Christian Pulisic on the horizon is the name. It's the insert uh, name on the card. It was a PSA 9, sold for record $901. And then you had, uh, of course, Mickey Mantle, always does well. 1957 Tops Mickey Mantle, PSA 4.5, sold for $1,525. There was a hockey card, 2005 Upper Deck Young Guns, Corey Perry, who I think is with the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've got the hockey finals going on right now in a PSA 10 sold for $203. And here's another one I've got. I was happy to see this. A 2020 Panini Zenith football hobby box. I've got one sealed still. This sold for record $650. That was cool. And then lastly, we've got a Star Wars card. It was a 1977 Star Wars called May the Force Be With You. It's the name on the card. It was in a PSA 9. actually has a picture of Luke Skywalker in his like flight gear and it sold for a record thousand dollars on ebay mm. so cool cool yeah. cool all right well i think that does it for the half some reports so uh let's go ahead and move on to film study all right where do you want to start you want to start with baseball we can start baseball touch on a couple things real quick so manny machado uh injured his ankle did we mention last time mookie betts also got injured he went on the um injured list he has a cracked rib looks like he's going to be out for a couple weeks i have not seen the latest on how long machado's going to be out for but so a couple of uh injuries to some star players the big news i think this past week was from the pittsburgh pirates they called up to their top prospect o'neill cruz this is one and boy his stuff started selling too his stuff has been in high demand it's selling really well commanding good prices he was um, the Pirates' top prospect. He's the 22nd-ranked prospect in baseball. He's a shortstop. That's the position he plays. And get this, he is six foot seven, hmm. six foot seven. And to put that in perspective, Corey Seager used to be with the Dodgers. I think he's with the Rangers now. He's six foot four, and he's heralded as the tallest shortstop in Major League Baseball history. So O'Neill Cruz is now going to take that over at six seven. You don't see a lot of people of players that tall playing shortstop generally you don't see like players that tall playing baseball that's true Cruz is 23 years old has both power and speed in the minors last year he had 17 home runs 19 stolen bases hasn't exactly been lighting it up in triple a ball this year with just a 233 average but did make an impact in a couple of games at the end of last season for the pirates so expectations were high for him he had a fantastic debut in his first game some nice plays in the field demonstrated his rocket arm i think he threw i think they said it was a there's a ground ball to shortstop he got it in the hole fired a just a rocket to first base i think it was clocked at 96 miles an hour jeez so i mean the guy could probably pitch too so as a rocket arm he went two for five in his debut so 400 uh, with two runs and four rbis so it was a great start then went a little cold after that. So he's just gone two for 13 in the next three games, but has scored a couple more runs, added three more RBIs, got a stolen base. So anyway, he's one to watch. I was actually trying to pick up some of his stuff. I wasn't able to buy it because I couldn't come to a, a deal. I was trying to negotiate with a couple of things, but um, I didn't. I don't want to overpay. He's one of those where when they come in, they're hot like that. Sometimes the prices can jump. I don't want to overpay. So I might wait till. Hopefully, we'll see. I'm hoping it maybe cools off just a little bit if he gets 
you know, like this, like there, here where he went two for 13 over the last three games, maybe cool down just a little bit, but pick up some stuff because he's he's a dynamic player. I think he's going to be interesting to watch over the long term. The um, Boston Red Sox brought up uh, Jaron Duran. He's been playing well, hitting over 300 at the top of the Red Sox order. And then some people that we've all been talking about that just keep. So Corbin Burns, he threw another gem. Now got a, remember, he was the Cy Young Award winner last year. Now has a 2.31 ERA with 110 strikeouts in 85 and two-thirds innings pitched. Less than a one whip, which is walks and hits per innings pitched. But he only has a 5-4 and four record, which just goes to show how bad the Milwaukee Brewers are. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Julio Rodriguez, we've talked about him before with the Seattle Mariners. He's quietly heating up, hitting over 400 in his last six games. He's only 21 years old, so he's one to watch out for. Freddie Freeman, heating up a little bit as well. Three home runs in the last four games, hitting 500 over the last five. And then a couple others that are on fire. So Jordan Alvarez with the Houston Astros, he is absolutely on fire right now, hitting 317, 439 in just the month of June. 22 home runs for the season. Five in the last five games, eight in the month of June. He's got a better than 1,000 OPS, which just stands for your on-base percentage plus your slugging percentage. He's 24 years old. Um, another one to, to keep an eye on. Aaron Judge hit two more home runs, now has 27. It was his sixth multi-homer game of the season, making him the only player not named Babe Ruth in Yankees franchise history to have six such games in the team's first 70 games of the season so gonna be fun to watch he's still on track to get that 60 home run mark i'm telling you he's you know if as it gets closer you know keep an eye on his stuff because i would imagine let me hold on let me let me look him up here real quick so his card ladder index has certainly taken off uh, over the last year it's up 30 percent but if i look at just the last three months it says it's up 60 percent Remember, that can be a little misleading because we got to go look at kind of what's driving that. But I'm going to go and look at his, I'll look at his 2013 Bowman Chrome Prospects autograph card in a PSA 10. I think that'll be a pretty rep- good representation of what his stuff has done. Um, that's And so that card, as an example, has doubled over the last three months. It's only got a pop count of 168, but yet there have been what 12 sales over the last three months alone of that card and three months ago that card sold for nine hundred dollars the last sale was eighteen hundred dollars so it doubled and the sale before that was twenty three hundred dollars and then the sale before that was seventeen hundred so last three sales have been in that seventeen to twenty three hundred dollar range um so no fluke there but so anyway so that gives you an idea on what his stuff has been doing Jose Ramirez, we've talked about in the past with the Cleveland Guardians, they're now called. Just keeps being Jose Ramirez, hitting 309 in June. Now 16 home runs, 62 RBIs, and 44 runs to go with 12 stolen bases. Madison Bumgarner reached the 2,000 strikeout mark. He's now 85th ranked all-time on the strikeout leaders list. Probably going to crack the top 70 before the season's over if he stays healthy. He's 33 years old, been in the league for 13 years. And then... uh, what else? Oh, this is, yeah, how could I forget? I want to talk about Otani. We've talked about him a couple times, so at the risk of sounding like a broken record, I just, Otani is, so if I look at his card ladder index, again, a little misleading here, I think, because um, over the last three months, it says it's down 12.5%, but you have to look at individual cards. But some of his cards, 
that I've been looking at are, are, are actually down. So the only ones that, that are, you know, that I think are up are some of the very, very low, you know, uh, serial, low pop count, serial numbered to like 10 or less autograph and refractor parallel type cards. Those are still, you know, holding value. Uh, but a lot of his other stuff, uh, the more widely held stuff, is, is down in value by quite a bit. Let me look at uh, Card Ladder here to get a couple of cards to give you an idea on what some of his stuff is selling for. Well, so I'll give you an example of something that's not doing well. This is a card I have. This is his Topps Chrome Sapphire in a PSA 10. And that's now down to $2,000. That was a $4,000 card three months ago. Now down to $2,000. Been cut in half. Mm -hmm. Not good. And frankly, surprising. And a lot of his stuff, let me see, let me get... I'll get I'll get kind of just his his basic. Um, let's go with his like Topps Chrome. Okay, so we'll go with his 2018 Topps Chrome base. This is of him pitching, and the last sale on that in a PSA 10 was $150. That's down about 32% over the last three months. So three months ago, that card was selling for around $220 to $250, and sales over the last several months or a couple month or so have been more in the $150 range. Now, pop count's a little high, right? Got a little over 4,000 on the pop count on that, so a little high, but still. So why do we bring it up? Because this guy just continues to break records. He became the first ever player to drive in. Get this, he drove in eight runs, had eight RBIs, and then struck out at least 10 batters. He had more than 10 strikeouts in consecutive games. So here's what he did. He went three for four with eight RBIs, two runs scored, and two home runs in a 12 to 11 loss to the Kansas City Royals. Then he goes out the next game, also against the Kansas City Royals, pitches a jam, pitches for eight innings, two hit ball, no earned runs, 13 strikeouts with just one walk, and oh, by the way, went one for three at the plate as well, and they win that game. I mean, it is insane what Otani is doing. I mean, he is just really putting together another season like last year, almost in some ways maybe even better. I need to look at the stats and see, but I just I continue to be blown away by Otani, and I think given how, how far a lot of his stuff has come down in price, I think he's one to potentially take. He's one of those ones to put on your list. If you've been wanting to collect Otani stuff and it was too expensive because there was a lot of hype on him last year given what he did last year, it's been coming down. He just be patient, but it's, you know, I but I wouldn't wait too long because if he keeps doing this all season long, I think there's some real upside in his stuff. And, and frankly, I think he's just one to own for the long term as well because he's going to, you know, again, barring injury, uh, he's going to go down as one, you know, I don't see how he can't go down as one of the greats of all time. He is doing things that nobody has done in baseball, like I said, except for maybe Babe Ruth. And it's nuts, man. Yeah. And he's even doing things that Babe Ruth didn't do. I just really like him. Now, the Angels we talked about before, they need to get in the playoff race and they are not there right now. So that's one of the the bad, you know, parts of it. For that matter, we talked about Aaron Judge, the Yankees, they absolutely are. They're you know, they are fifty two and eighteen. Just an absolutely Jeez. outstanding record to start the season already have a 12 and a half game lead in their division which by the way that's that division we talked about it has four teams over 500 so not a weak division and they're just practically running away with it already Cleveland 
which um, that's Jose Ramirez. They're in first place in their division. And then uh, Houston, we talked about Jordan Alvarez. They're in first place in their division. So, And the Angels are in third right now, ten and a half games back of, of Houston. Um, the Mets, we talked about Pete Alonso. They're in first place. Atlanta's in second. There's Ronald Acuna Jr. there. Um, Philly in third, Bryce Harper. Then you got Milwaukee. Um, now, I said how bad Milwaukee is. Well, they're in first place in their division. But how is Corbin Burns 5-4 and four with a 2.31 ERA and a less than one whip? Cy Young winner. How is he 5-4 and four with Milwaukee being in first place? They're actually tied with St. Louis. And then, of course, the Dodgers are in first in the West with San Diego just a game behind. So... As you think about who some of the best players are on a lot of those teams that are in that are you know again it's really early we're not even halfway through the season yet, but still, you know that's something to pay attention to because if as some of these players like an Aaron Judge if he keeps this up and the Yankees are you know making a run for the World Series, I would imagine his card values will probably continue to go up. Although remember, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. If they do. Probably a good time to sell. Like we talked like Jason Tatum, right, in the NBA Finals. Probably a good time to sell his stuff after that big run-up. And so far, anyway, that was proving to be the case. All right, that's all I got on baseball. You want to go basketball next or hockey? Where do you want to go? Uh, let's just go basketball. Basketball. Yeah. NBA draft. Yeah, we had the draft last night. That's the big news. <sighs> yeah, a lot of surprises, honestly. It was kind of – there were some guys that went higher than I thought they would. Palo or Palo? Ben, yeah, Paolo Bencaro. Bencaro. Well, I mean, he was first overall. He was gonna go in the top three. Although there was a general like thought that Jabari Smith was gonna be number one. Really, I thought Chet Holmgren was gonna be. Now that the general consensus was Jabari Smith was gonna be taken first, it was pretty much clear that Oklahoma City wanted Chet, but it seemed like to everybody that Jabari Smith was gonna be first. So it was kind of surprised to see. Um, but Ben Caro go first, and Jabari slide to third. I don't know. It's interesting. I think Ben Caro is the most NBA-ready player. So, I mean, I'm not surprised that he went first at all, but it just surprised in the sense that everybody thought Jabari was going to go first. So, But you can't really go wrong with any of these top six. You can't really go wrong with. So any here that um, you want to touch base on that jump out at you? Any good moves? You had Jaden Ivey from Purdue goes to Detroit to play think, with Cade Cunningham. I think Shaden Sharp going seven is really interesting. I was going to ask you about that. Because he, he hasn't played in a year and a half, so teams can't really see like how he reads. They haven't really been able to see how he reads the game. When he's a guard, and like honestly, like, So is he like the C.J. McCollum replacement? No, they traded for Jeremy Grant. So, but they still got Dane. Yeah, well, I'm saying Jeremy Grant is really good. Yeah, but Sharp is a—he's like a shooting guard, right? I think so. I'm honestly not 100% sure, but I just know it's—it's kind of weird to see him go in the in the top seven when he hasn't played in so long. So I mean, that's just kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these these top six guys, any of these guys can make a run at rookie of the year. I think. I think um, I like to see Akbaji as a as a lottery pick. How do you like, say his first name? O- Ochai, I think. Ochai Akbaji. Ochai Akbaji. Well, you figure he's. It was interesting that he slid to that he went fourteen. Honestly, to that was. Wouldn't you consider him the best player on what was the best team in basketball? Well, I mean, they didn't win the the, the NCAA. But. We'll see. Honestly, that's where um, 
that's where a lot of people go wrong with like these picks and that's why he's at 14 is when you draft when you go for drafts when you draft players and one of the reasons why it's so hard to pick is you may think yeah get the best player on the best team a guy that like maybe averages slightly more points and like whatever than the rest of his team or do you get a guy that's maybe on a slightly less good team but still a, a good team that's just like completely lights out and just like well and above all the players on his team you go with the guy who's on the lower ranked team every time yeah and a lot of people don't a lot of people would think that you would go with the higher rank and it just kind of depends because maybe the higher ranked team has a lot of good guys like maybe if, like it's a duke situation so that's why you kind of see this happening that's why you see um davian mitchell last year slide as opposed to Cade cunningham even though he was the best player on baylor he was only slightly better than the other players on Baylor, but Cade was just lights out. So I was going to ask you, what about the kid from Baylor? Jeremy, um, how do you say his last name again? Sokin? Sokin? I don't really know that much he about him. Santa. He goes to I've seen him play a few times. I, he's an interesting one to me, and in the fact that San Antonio draft. I mean, San Antonio's got a pretty good track record, I think, mm-hmm. draft. Yeah, Dyson Daniels, eighth. I like Dyson Daniels. He's a G League. He was yeah, the first he's, G he's League one of those player that, off the board. Yeah, he was one of those Ignite guys. Um, I've seen a few of those guys like watching the Ignite, the Ignite team. So is that um, a, so? New Orleans is. I mean, they could be sneaky good next year. They getting Zion back. They're already sneaky good this year. Yeah, they were sneaky good this year. Got McCollum. They went six with with uh, Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I think one that went kind of later, and actually two that went later. One of them is another one of those Ignite guys, uh, Marjon Bochamp. He's an interesting one. I like the way he plays. Another one, which I think is funny, I've, I saw this guy show up on like an early um, entry to the draft list of like 200 people. I actually saw a few guys from Belmont on there too. Um, but I saw this guy's name on there. I thought it was funny. And then he started, I started seeing a little bit more about him. He went to Miami. He's Miami's pick on uh, Nikola Jovic. Yeah. So you have Nikola Jokic, and now you have Nikola Jovic. Both of them are centers. <laughs> And from Serbia. And from Serbia. So yeah. I thought that was funny. But I've seen good things about him, so that should be that should be interesting. That seems like that's a good pickup for Miami. I really yeah, I think that's a good pickup for them. But I think he he's one that I think is interesting, like late in the first round that you could potentially see, you know, do something. Um Ty Ty Washington you have here from Kentucky was twenty nine to Houston. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Um but like overall, those top six guys are really kinda where I'm looking at in terms of like so going after rookie of the year. I guess the only thing that you look at where they're going, right? Chet going to Oklahoma, not exactly. I mean, they do have um, what's his name, the rookie they had there this past year, Giddy. Giddy. Well, I think it's interesting with Chet because he's going to another. Oklahoma has another big that's like really skinny, so it'll be interesting to see those two play together. Yeah. Because that's Ben Shutt's biggest criticism is that he's really skinny, but it doesn't really seem to matter for and then the most Houston, part. Houston has two nice pickups. They got Jabari Smith, and they also got Ty Ty mm-hmm. Washington. He did. Um, um, there were about- a couple interesting moves on draft night too. Like Kemba Walker went to Detroit, and the Knicks traded up some picks. Like a Knicks traded like a bigger hall. pick. Yeah, yeah. They got I, it was kind of a weird trade. Um, Lakers picked up a few picks or something, just like you know so your average kind of random draft night pick trades. But I think the Kemba to Detroit thing is interesting. And then you also saw, I think I like just saw this, um, Danny Green from the 76ers went to Memphis for to Anthony Melton and also a pick, I believe. So, hmm. Well, so that leads me. You're, you, the, interesting movement. The New York 
trade, the Knicks trade leads me as a nice segue into the next thing I wanted to ask you about, and that's the the Kyrie Irving story. Obviously, he's in negotiations with the Nets. They're reportedly at an impasse. I don't know. He's um, he given them six teams that he said he would be interested in joining if they can't come to an agreement. Those six teams include the Lakers, the Clippers, the Knicks, the Mavericks, the Heat, and the 76ers. Here's what's interesting. Back in 2018, when he was asking the Cleveland Cavaliers for a trade, he had four teams on his wish list. They included the Knicks, the Spurs, the Timberwolves, and the Heat. And so if I cross-reference that list with the now new list he's given, there's two teams that are on both of those lists, the New York Knicks and the Miami Heat. I don't think he's a good fit in Miami, but he could, but it could be interesting. Hey, um, yeah, I would rather gonna, have, Did the Knicks clear the decks to get Kyrie? I would rather have Donovan. Um, that could be interesting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, maybe the that. Knicks, maybe the Knicks are, are are making space for him, but it'd be a little risky for them to do that unless they had a, a for sure, you know, we're gonna get him sort of thing. So, not sure about that. I think obviously the Lakers, he would reunite with LeBron, but I don't know. If LeBron wants that, honestly. Last I checked, LeBron said they couldn't. They just didn't really mesh well together at the end. They, well, so couldn't, here, they couldn't get on the same page or something. So here's my question nothing, for you: nothing on against this. each other. But yeah, like, no. He just said like he just said like yeah, like we it just didn't. We couldn't really get on the same. Last I checked, yeah, he said they just couldn't get on the same page. Well, so that's what. Here's my question for you on this because it's really interesting when I look at that list and you think about Kyrie, and I think I, I just don't see him fitting in with the Mavericks. I don't see him fitting in with the Heat. I don't know why he'd want to go to the Knicks, um, and. The 76ers, like maybe maybe he played with Harden. Maybe if they get it, you know, he wants to do that. If if the 76ers re-sign Harden, the Lakers, you know, maybe LeBron, whatever. You think about someone like the Clippers. I mean, Clippers are already in pretty good shape. Who would they have to give up yeah, in order I don't think to get the them? Clippers would really want them. So they've got a good team. Yeah, they, I mean, the moves so they he, made last season to prepare for this season, I think, is probably good enough. They might make some other minor moves, but I don't see them making a blockbuster move. Well, and that would be my if I'm the Clippers. They're, they're just getting healthy, getting their guys together, and getting some some chemistry and continuity going. That's what they need to do. And that's my with thought the, the new, on a lot the of these teams. New guys that came in, the new three and D guys. That's my thought on these teams is that a lot of them are in position like the Heat, like the Clippers. They've got good teams. I don't know that you want to really, you know, mix that up to bring someone like Kyrie in and and who you like how much you're going to have to give up. You you don't want to give up in my opinion a lot of what you already have because that's going to set you back. So then my question for you on this then is so are the Brooklyn Nets the best team for him? I mean because they're, you know, he's got KD, they're going to have Seth Curry, they're going to I mean well, I, I was honestly, Simmons I was both surprised and not surprised to see him, to see these reports come out just because I was surprised because it seemed like Brooklyn was trying to build for something next season with the trades they made, but I'm also not surprised because it's Kyrie Irving and he, you know, he jumps around a lot. And so I don't know. I feel like out of these teams, I mean, the 76ers would, could be a good spot for him. I mean, the Heat could be a good spot for him. I just... I would prefer not to have to deal with the Kyrie drama, honestly. It just yeah. seems like a distraction. Now, maybe he could tone down if he's with the Heat because it's just, I don't know, maybe. But I know Pat Riley um, likes to go after stars. I've heard that they are chase that they might be chasing him. I'm not sure. But who would they have to give up? Exactly. And, like, but that's what you could think. I mean, I thought, like, you know, the Nets could use shooting. Maybe they get give him some shooters. I don't know. But, like. Are they going to give up Hero? Uh, no way. But yeah, I, um, would, I wouldn't want to do that if I was them. 
So, like, I don't really know. I mean, Kyrie could go to the Knicks. But, I mean, if he really wants to win now, I mean... Well, and think about it this way, too. Next year... But you year, also have to think, like, if he stays, like, it's kind of weird chemistry now. If if these things are, like, true. Because, like, you know, if he actually... He didn't make it out, but maybe he wanted to. I don't know. It could get a little weird. Could true. Be, could get into, like, a Harden situation. I don't know. True. Now, Kyrie's it, not Harden, but, you know... But it could it, get a little weird in the, in the with the team. Yeah. But if you think about the Nets next season, right? They got KD. They're going to have Simmons. They'll have, they'll have Joe Harris back, which everybody just forgets about. Well, who's like a, that, one of the best three-point shooters in the league. Like, t- completely one of the best three-point shooters in the league. But they're also going to have Kyrie for five. the whole season. Like, yeah. There's not going to be – I don't exactly. think there's going to be a vaccine requirement next season. Mm-hmm. Who knows, I guess. We don't know for sure. But that seems to kind of be in the past now. I mean – because that, I mean, he only played what half the games. This season? Yeah, he played like yeah. He, well, you know, he played like twenty. He played the last because he could. He played. He came back half the season, but he could only play road games. Yeah. So he played twenty road games or something like so twenty-five. I mean, so I mean, the Nets, you know. Anyway. Which you know, in all of them, he went nuts, but. Yeah. <sighs> didn't do anything in the playoffs. Another thing I'm interested in. This should be an interesting off season, honestly. Just kind of through and through with the moves that are already made. P.J. Tucker on the Heat declined his player option, so I'll be interested to see if he goes somewhere else or not. I know they really wanted to keep him there, so I'm not sure really what happened, but he's interesting. He's an interesting one because where he goes, teams tend to win, so he's one to watch if he moves. Yeah. Um, wherever he goes, I've seen some stuff about maybe the 76ers, maybe trading for Thibault or something. or So I, I would watch that. Um, he's That's definitely he's he's take. a he's a he's a really important piece for winning teams. So if he moves, I would pay attention to that. That's an interesting take. Yep. Yeah, because he was with Milwaukee, right? He makes yeah, he was with he was in the Houston that. with James Harden when they were really good. Then they won with Milwaukee, and now he was with the Heat this past season. I mean, he does a lot of yep. really really important stuff that that goes unnoticed for for a lot of people. He's a a very winning player, so he'll be where he goes. Um, you know, they've got a good shot to win usually. So yeah, one to watch. Okay, that's all I got. All right, well let's jump to hockey real quick and then we'll wrap up. So uh, game five is tonight. The Avalanche have a three games to one lead over Tampa Bay. It was interesting because since the last time we talked, uh, game two, the Avs crushed Tampa Bay seven to nothing. Kale McCarr had a couple of goals. At the Tampa Bay only had 16 shots on goal that game versus 30 for the Avs. It was really looking like the speed and talent and just the aggressive play of the Avs were just going to be overwhelming and overpowering for Tampa Bay. Then Tampa Bay comes back, so they were down 2-0. They come back, take, take game three. It looked like the Avs might take it at first. Tampa Bay came back, ended up routing them. Stamkos got a goal and assist. Kucherov got a couple assists. Vasilevsky had a good game in goal. Yeah, and then game four... Look, another close game, but ultimately the Avs take it in overtime. Kadri gets the game-winning goal for the Avs in overtime. It was kind of interesting. Puck got caught in the top of the net. If you didn't watch it, it was in overtime, kind of in back and forth. Kadri takes a shot on goal. The Avs kind of knew right away. I think they saw it go in. I don't think anyone in Tampa or the the uh, the refs saw it because it kind of the puck actually got stuck and caught up in the top of the net, so kind of no one knew what was going on. And then there was some controversy. Um, as to whether the Avs had too many men on the ice. So Tampa Bay's coach 
said it, you know he thought they got away with that when you look at it in you know in replay i mean technically yes but that's always one of those sort of judgment calls and there's look i think that whole you know too many guys on the ice could be called every single time there's a change there's a line change because they're always and they're allowed to get within a certain i think it's like five feet or whatever the bench and they can swap out but anyway but there's a picture out there that shows there were there were six men on the ice but the sixth person was literally like right on the wall you know of the bench there and um bottom line is the goal counts the Avs win and by the way that was Kadri's first game back from an injury that he suffered in the series with Edmonton um so it kind of feel and that's and he's a big piece of the puzzle for the Avs so you kind of wonder if that's gonna you know ultimately help them win the cup McKinnon got a goal in that game four so we got game five Friday night and uh it's gonna be exciting to see I kind of hope and there's part of me that hopes Tampa Bay would win just so we could have more games but I feel like the Avs are gonna take it and win tonight I wouldn't be surprised um also who was it? who got MVP someone got MVP this week oh the I didn't MVP see the was announced I'm pretty sure I, I think it. it was um it might have been Austin Matthews yeah, the uh, the Hart Trophy went to Austin Matthews okay. with, with the so Matthews. Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, he's with the Toronto. Okay. Yeah, and then Kale McCarr for the Avalanche got the Norris Trophy. No surprise there. The Calder Trophy went to um, I don't know how you pronounce this guy's name, Morty Cider Cedar. Don't know how you pronounce his name from Detroit. Then the Vizina Trophy. Interesting. So Shesterkin from the Rangers. We talked about him a couple times. Uh, the goalie for the Rangers. He got the uh, Vizina Trophy. And then uh, the Ted Lindsay Award went to Austin Matthews as well. So Austin Matthews, yeah, kind of cleaned house there in that regard. Um, talking about Kale McCarr, his, uh, his card ladder index, player index, is up 43% over the last three months. Again, that can be a little misleading. So I'll look at the flagship, which is his 2019 rookie card. It's the upper deck Young Guns in a PSA 10. The pop count on that is just over 1,200. But that card alone over the last three months is up about 27%. So pretty consistent with the player index. So like to see that consistency there with the player index. And to give you an idea, so that card was selling for three months ago about $750, give or take. The last sale was $950. And there was actually a sale as high as $1,200 just a what maybe a week ago a couple of days ago actually three days ago there's a sale as high as 1200 another one for 1050 another one for 950 um, so it's anywhere between that sort of 950 to 12 because there were a couple sales in that in like 1060 1010 so between 950 and, and 1100 1200 give or take is where that card's been selling for compared to 800 so uh, the um, the news is out on on Kale McCarr and his stuff is is starting to, to move higher by a fair amount. Let me look at Nathan McKinnon as well, because he's one that if the Avs win, um, it could be could be interesting to see the impact on his stuff. So over the last three months, his player index on card ladder is, is pretty flat, up about 2%. But we'll look at his, his 2013 uh, year. That's the year of his rookie card. Upper deck, young guns in a PSA 10. The pop count on that is about 926. And that's actually flat. Technically, it's down about 17%. But if you look at the chart, it's it's really pretty flat. That's just more about timing because a year ago, or three, excuse me, three months ago, the last sale was at 1,450. But then the sale right after that was 1,100. The most recent sale 
uh, just from yesterday was around 1200 and so it's been fluctuating between maybe a thousand dollars on the low side to upwards of fourteen hundred dollars on the high side but pretty much trading within that sort of four hundred dollar range consistently over the last three months so it hasn't had a lot of movement per se I suspect I don't know who knows I, I think I would think there might be some upside if they win because the other thing with the Avs is I really feel like they could be building something longer term here they have a young team I think McKinnon is only 29 of course McCarr Kale McCarr is um, this was his rookie rookie season I believe if I'm not mistaken they've got a fairly young team they're loaded with talent so they could be building something over the long haul here and so some of their star players could be something to look out for other interesting news in hockey was that our beloved Preds this I didn't even know they were up for sale it wasn't known I guess they weren't but former Tennessee governor Bill Haslam is reportedly <laughs> near a deal to purchase the Predators. The team currently has about 17 owners. Um, Herbert Fritsch has a controlling interest. He's a former, I think, healthcare executive. Uh, sounds like he's going to be selling his majority stake to Haslam over the next several years in a multi-phase transaction. So Haslam is set to to take over that majority stake. It didn't say, from what I could tell, it sounded like maybe the other minority owners were not going to sell. They were going to stay on. And so Haslam would just be joining them. The way the story was, you know, the headline read was that, oh, he's purchasing the Preds. But the reality is when you read the details, it didn't sound like he was purchasing the other owner's stake. He was just going to purchase the majority stake um, from Herbert Fritz. So that would, obviously, he would have the controlling interest. So from that perspective, you call him the owner. But there still will be there's like 16 other minority owners um in the pred so interesting yeah i thought that was kind of interesting um be interesting to see what happens with with that organization should that change in ownership happen um but that's really all i got on on hockey so i think that's if you don't have anything else we i apologize we um yeah i i totally missed the award so maybe we spend a little more time going through some of the cards next on our next show of some of those players like Austin Matthews we just talked about Kale McCarr um, Shesterkin you know some of those players maybe we can hit some of their card values on our next show but I think that's going to be it for today so Brandon why don't you go ahead and take us out yeah I hope everybody enjoyed it today please reach out give us your feedback we do want to hear from you we use that to make the show better bring you more of what you want and enjoy the most so let us know your thoughts also check us out on social media Subscribe, follow our uh, pages and channels. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And check out our website, www.the615collector.com. And subscribe to our email list. Yeah, and please tell your family and friends about us as well. Encourage them to listen to the show. Follow us on your podcast outlet. Remember, next week we're going to have Chris McGill from Card Ladder as our guest. So really looking forward to having him on and having some lively discussion about the market and indexes and things card ladders doing all that good stuff but that is it for today show number 37 is in the books thanks again everyone for listening we will see you all next friday same time same place here on the 615 collector